Imagine a football platform where the world's best writers give you the real story about what's going on at United. Imagine no pop-up ads, no clickbait headlines and no ridiculous rumours to be let down by anymore. You don't have to imagine anymore. Meet The Athletic. No ads, no nonsense, just football. Visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash United We Stand to start your 30-day free trial and get 50% off your annual subscription. The Athletic. Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten and I'm in Lisbon. I was supposed to be in Germany and this is the day of the Europa League final. Instead of Manchester United being there, it's going to be between Sevilla, who are trying to win their fifth Europa League since 2006, and Inter Milan, who've got several former Manchester United players. So it was a disappointing end to the season. I was in Germany, was at the Copenhagen game, and then I got um, rejected for accreditation for the game against Sevilla um, because of, of restrictions on accreditation. So that the hotel was all booked in Germany for uh, nine days and two days into it, it was just there. Uh, I did have some other work to do. I was covering um, the Europa League for various um, people while I was in Germany. So I went to see Lukas Podolski. I did some stuff for the BBC. and But I had no reason to be there. And literally 10 minutes after I got the call to say that there'd be no pass for the Sevilla game, I got asked to come to Lisbon for, for 10 days and to cover the Champions League for, for Norwegian television. So uh, I did that, went back to see my, my wife and kids briefly. And I've been in Lisbon, which is uh, quiet. It's one of my favourite cities in the world. It's like 10, 20% of how busy it normally would be. That's partly because of COVID and people not mixing as you would normally do partly because a lot of people from here have headed south for the summer and partly because the festivals which normally proliferate throughout august the music and the food festivals they've all been cancelled so i'm sat in my hotel overlooking sporting stadium i've been to the two games there this week i saw manchester city go out I've uh, been speaking to Raphael quite a lot. So he was disappointed that he wasn't playing, but obviously delighted that his teammates got to the semi-final. Um, Memphis Depay, Dembele, I've been speaking to all of them. Um, Alfonso Davies, Kingsley Coleman, uh, Serge Gnabry. Bayern look the top team in the world at the moment. They look much better than Manchester United and when I watched the Sevilla game on television and watched the chances being missed, one of my first thoughts was, would Bayern Munich's forwards be missing these chances? And they wouldn't. Well, I don't think they would. But on the other hand, it was good that United were playing so well in that second half against Sevilla and creating those chances. It was, less than, it was two years ago since United got battered in Sevilla, in Seville, but somehow came away with a nil-nil. And then obviously lost uh, at Old Trafford. And in that first game in Seville in 2018, it was David De Gea who was man of the match. So a progress of sorts that United are, are playing better. But you can probably tell by the tone of my voice, three semi-final eliminations, it's, it's disappointing. Of course, it's good to get back into the Champions League 
for many reasons, uh, including the club's finances. But a trophy would have been great, would have been great for the fans, not that we would have been able to see it. It would have been great for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, United have done well since January. I think we can take a lot of positives from that, but the, the squad still needs strengthening and there are players who've, who have sat on huge contracts who are not been featuring. So do they, do they move on or do they just stay and, and sit on the money? United have done well to move Alexis Sanchez on. And we've got a month now before the league season starts. We've seen the fixtures. I felt really hollow when I looked at the fixtures. Normally, it's a time of excitement, especially when I was younger. Um, but you, you're planning trips. You're going to, um, you know, you're going to meet your mates. You, and, and there'll be none of that. And obviously, we can't sell United. We stand either, um, at least not until October. That's when the club... I'm hoping there'll be some movement on fans coming back into Old Trafford. Uh, fans below Step 7, non-league, will be allowed into stadiums this weekend, but we're talking four, five hundred, six hundred 500, 600 maximum. Nothing like the numbers you'd need to get inside Old Trafford. And when I was in Germany, I had um, had something to eat with one of the Schalke uh, directors and they were talking uh, about trying to get fans back into the ground in Germany and now they need 15,000 to sort of make it worth their while and they were pretty doubtful of that so we don't know what the situation is and I just can't watch I mean I will watch but I just can't watch Manchester United against Liverpool or Leeds or City and behind closed doors it's just it's just doesn't excite me in the same way as the prospect of, of being there of travelling to it of listening to the noise and the atmosphere around it and I've really felt that being in Lisbon, you don't really know that the Champions League's on here. There's, I've seen five or six City fans who go everywhere, who, who came here just to be close. Just like the 30 United fans who've gone to Germany for the various games, just sat in a square in Cologne. I know fans out there this weekend, plenty in Cologne, to, because that would have been when the final would have been. But the, the, there was no jib going on. There was no sneaking into that stadium. It was, in, it was impossible. The security is really tight. And it's really tight here as well in, in Lisbon. A couple of Bayern Munich fans knocking about. Um, a couple of PSG fans. There's hardly any journalists. There's hardly any correspondence. People have not been able to send from their own country. So, so normally as a journalist, I'd be seeing like, you know, former... Brazilian and Argentinian and Chilean and Mexican legends who've been sent to cover this game and there's just none of that and then all the European clubs and there's very very little of that there's a lad who a Belgian lad who used to play for Sheffield Wednesday who's very nice but he's been knocked back for accreditation as well and he's come all the way here um, Gilles um, there's Glenn who's from Glenn Stromberg from Sweden and he's a great character. I love listening to his stories. He was a, played in Syria in the 80s when it was the, the best place. Uh, Michael Laudrup, he's out here as well. So he was obviously a world-class player, but very, very few um, people out here. And, you know, on, on Sunday night, I'm going to go to the European Cup final. And I'm just like, well, mainly it's partly because it's not your team. And if it's a great game of football... I will enjoy it. I really enjoyed that City Leon game, just sort of being there and, and, and seeing it. I'm sure people did watching on television as well. 
But for this podcast, because we weren't in in Cologne, um, we we knew um, Matt Ford, who writes for United We Stand, and he lives in Bonn. Um, he took charge of of this podcast, and I'm going to pass over to him uh, in terms of transfer news because that's what people ask about. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, on my way back from Germany, I I was in the airport and. Um, Philip Aladino in Macedonia, United fan, really nice lad. He sent me a message on Twitter to say, look at this story, United is signing a Serbian player who's 17 years old, it's all been agreed. And and because I sat there with time, I checked it out, checked it out with um, United, with people in Belgrade. And everyone came back and said, it's, it's not true. It's just not true. So I replied to Philip and... Um, I said, it's not true, Philip. And then got a load of abuse. <laughs> it's just mental. It's absolute Twitter is mental. Basically, you're doing your job. You're checking things out. And I wouldn't even normally reply to people who, who've asked me something like that on there. It's just not worth them either. But when you tell people something they don't want to hear, well, that's the reaction that you get. And then yesterday there was a story, um, as player Arsenal and Napoli are going for from, from Lille, and that to me and United suddenly were linked to that player and that absolutely struck me as uh, using United's name to drum up in more interest to help negotiations to help the players profile and i um, told there was nothing in it um, same with the Serbian lad I mean the Serbian lad supposedly signed last Friday who <laughs> we a week on where is he is he struggling to get out of his country so it's this season when there's just so much uh, conjecture going on around the transfers and there's also frustration as there is every year, especially online from fans who want to see players signed and the team needs players, there's no doubt about it and there's not much confidence, uh, I don't think, in United's negotiation skills because fans have been burned, especially in 2013 when they were linked with world-class players and ended up signing Fellaini right at the last minute. So would be good to get deals done. I'm told that football doesn't really know what where it is at the moment in terms of valuations. There's no benchmark properly been set. So I spoke to an agent who said if, if Chelsea buy Havertz, for example, from Bayer, that will set a benchmark because Borussia Dortmund are asking for £120 million and... I don't think United will pay that. I just don't. Might be wrong, but I don't think they do. They will. I think that the the club have been hit by COVID. Uh, I think there's definitely money to spend. But it's similar to um, a year ago. I remember being on the pre-season tour and, and one of the club's coaching staff said, there'll just be a knock-on effect. One player will move and then everything will just start moving. Um, is that going to happen this year? Or are, players, are clubs going to hoard the players? I don't know, don't know the answer. I do know that I'd like to see uh, a couple more top-class players come to Manchester United. So I'm going to pass you over to Matt now. Matt's in Cologne. This was around uh, the Sevilla game and, and he speaks to some interesting people. Cheers to everyone who, who's bought United We Stand. Um, we are on sale in some independent stores in Ireland, if not Eason's, so we'll tweet that out. Um, there has been issues with the mail. Got to be honest, um, not in the UK, um, sorry, not in England or Wales or Scotland. 
anywhere needing a flight uh, is more problematic with the Royal Mail. The Royal Mail have whacked up their postal rates for outside the UK massively, massive, massive increase. And they've basically said more security, more insurance and far fewer flights. So just be patient. Um, as with the last issue, 95% of them are getting through, but 5% is still obviously an issue. And we will do another mail out on Monday. We're doing one mail out a week. And if your mag doesn't arrive, we will send another one out or let you have access to the digital edition until it does arrive. So if you've not had the summer issue and you want to order it, by all means do. Just PayPal the money, four ninety five to uwsmag at yahoo.co.uk. Do it with your name and address. Do it by Sunday and we'll get you one out in the post on Monday. Um, here's Matt in Cologne. My name's Matt. I'm one of the writers for United We Stand. Um, I'm based in the city of Cologne and that's where I am today because Manchester United are playing the Europa League semi-final in this city this evening against uh, FC Sevilla of Spain and um, yeah Andy's asked me to do this podcast this evening because he couldn't he couldn't make it for, for various reasons which I think ultimately come down to the fact that the uh, the regulations and the hygiene measures which have been placed for these for these games in Cologne are, um, are extremely strict um, the number of reporters who are allowed in the ground is, is very limited the number of journalists is very limited and it's um, yeah it's been extremely difficult for anyone to get near the game um, however I have managed to um, by hook or by crook sort myself out a pass for this evening um, so I'll try and give you just a few Im- impressions of uh, of uh, of how the game goes tonight. Um, like I said, I am yeah currently on the uh, on the on the tram on the number one tram in the centre of Cologne, uh, making my way up towards the towards the stadium. Uh, I think in official circles it's being called by UEFA. It's being called the the, the Stadion Köln. Um, its official name is the Rhein Energie Stadion, um, named after a local uh, yeah, water and energy and electricity providing company here in Cologne. Uh, it's the home ground of uh, FC Cologne, known locally as FC Köln. Um, if, you, if you ask a lot of their fans what the ground is called, they will they will tell you it's called the Müngersdorfer Stadion, named after the suburb of Müngersdorf, um, in which it is located. Um, United's quarter-final against Copenhagen was also in Cologne. A potential final against Inter Milan or Shakhtar Donetsk will also be in Cologne. Uh, that's how the draw has just fallen for United. Other games are taking place across the state of North Rhine-Westphalia. So other games are in Dusseldorf, in Duisburg, and in Gelsenkirchen, which is obviously where, where Schalke play. Um, UEFA decided on North Rhine-Westphalia, the state of NRW. They decided on that. I think largely because of 
how relatively well Germany as a country has dealt with the coronavirus crisis, but also in large part due to the fact that the Bundesliga was the first major European league to resume its, uh, to resume its operations after the, co- after the coronavirus hiatus. The German Football League has worked on a really, really meticulous and thorough hygiene concept in order to allow its games to continue. And they are also, I think, the first league to also complete the league. They, they managed to play their season to, uh, to its conclusion. Bayern Munich, rather predictably, became champions for the, for the eighth time in a row. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, although that might, be, that might not have been ideal for a lot of supporters who obviously weren't allowed in the ground, it was seen as a massive success story in the eyes of UEFA who thought that, yeah, they saw this hygiene concept and thought this is, uh, this is obviously an option or a, a way to go for, the, for the, the, this final mini-tournament at the end of the Europa League. So that's a little bit of background as to why the Europa League has landed here in, uh, in North Rhine-Westphalia and why, why United in particular are in the city of Cologne. Um, I do have a guest with me today on the podcast. It's not just going to be me talking to you for ages. Um, with a friend and colleague of mine, Felix. Felix is a football journalist here um, in Cologne. Does a lot of good work on German fan culture, uh, German football, and especially the political side of German football. That's a very interesting stuff. But much more importantly, Felix is also a Manchester United supporter. Felix is originally from Israel. Um, so that's why I'd like to ask a few questions now as to just exactly yeah, how, how an Israeli football fan becomes a Manchester United supporter. Because um, you, you, yeah, you, you travel about quite a lot, don't you, Felix? So um, tell us a little bit about yeah, um, your history as a United fan, how you became a United fan, and uh, yeah... <laughs> yeah, funny thing is, um, when I grew up in Israel, there was there were all sorts of issues uh, with my hometown and its football teams, for all sorts of reasons. We won't get into it right now, but the football identity of the two clubs in my in my city in Israel were, were basically destroyed by the city hall. And there's a lot, there's a big generation of people that come that are my age, which is around you know, 80s and early 90s born people, which basically lost their local football identity as a result of that. I found a way to uh, to, to to become a Man United fan, basically as a result of the fact that when I was a kid, um, there used to be lots of English football on TV in Israel. Uh, my father, funnily enough, had a thing for the other um, club the other relatively big club in the northwest of England uh, that we're not going to name for obvious reasons but um, because my father's club in my hometown was red and the other club in England that he used to like was red I just turned on the TV and saw a red team play and I thought that's going to be my team obviously a bit later um, as a kid growing up watching Eric Cantona play um, I was basically asphyxiated by by this by this bloke, by his style, by his um, by his play, by his qualities as a football player, and way beyond. Um, that's how I got into it, and basically it grew ever bigger with time. Um, it got to, I think, the most intense time of my Man United supporting days. Call it this way, uh, was 
um, nowadays I live in Germany, in Cologne, uh, but uh, I used, when I used to live in Israel, in, in my last few years in Israel, I used to work for an airline with the sole purpose of flying over to watch United uh, for 24 hours. So you, you, you specifically got a job working for an airline in order to give you the chance to, to get cheap flights over to Manchester? That is correct. Uh, there were a couple of instances that I used to do night shifts for the airline. Their offices were at the airport. I used to work all night, take the flight to London Luton, take three trains through all sorts of weird places in England to get to Manchester, go on a night out with my mates, go to the game the day afterwards. They would drop me again at Luton Airport. I used to spend the night there after the game and go back to Israel. That was, I used to do that once a month, obviously with European away games, I used to do the same um, back then. Uh, it was a crazy, pretty crazy time, but it was brilliant. I got to um, learn so much about uh, this club, about its support, about uh, the city of Manchester, which is something that, is, that matters to me a lot. Uh, the city, its culture, its music scene, its cultural element what makes this city so special and um, it just became part of my identity not only when it comes to my footballing identity um, I would say that most if you ask me for like my, my the top three most favorite bands they will all be Mancunian uh, Smith, Stone Roses, Oasis automatically uh, and it, it became a massive part of my identity and it is to this day nowadays um, for all sorts of reasons I only do European away games uh, we have a good group of people some come from England but some of us come from other places I have a few mates from Israel that I always share uh, hotel rooms in all sorts of weird places in Europe with um, and it's always fun it's always interesting and it just became a massive part of my identity and that's not going to change to the rest of my life I think yeah. no I think um, these yeah certain Euro away trips are one of the main reasons that me and you, me and you know each other yeah. um, we've bumped into each other in various places around the, around the continent from I don't know um, a place in Germany Bruges I think perhaps I think the most one the one that stands out is Vigo yeah. Um, which also happens to be well, it, yeah, you, you're laughing, and it was a good trip. It was, um, but it also happens to be the the last time that United were in a Europa League semi final. Okay. Uh, when you think about it, um, yeah, three, three years ago, 2017, uh, United had a had a Europa League semi final away at Celta Vigo, and I think, as I remember, Felix, you were you were two rows down from me in the lower of the away end I think mm -hmm. uh, tucked away in that corner and so I'd like to take this, this time this opportunity now to apologise for jumping on you and I may have may have screamed in your ear yeah, when, 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 when Marcus Rashford's free kick at the back of the net I'd like to tell that story to his fullest please um, basically uh, we've seen each other we saw each other in the city we were both obviously um, after a night of um, pretty heavy drinking and we, were, we both looked and spoke accordingly uh, then uh, we, we did not see each other the, the whole day and then uh, I got to the grounds with my mates um, as I used to do back that season I used to go to games with my Stone Roses t-shirt that's what I used to do every single away game and I did the same at this particular game and I was there in the away uh, in the away and in Vigo I think I think I said hello to you when I just and when, when I just entered the ground but then we just lost each other somehow and then Rashford scored and all of a sudden I see you on top of me somehow and um, yeah that, that was the sort of away experience we're talking about okay, so I, I got a little bit carried away 
Um, it was a good free kick, really important goal. And, on, um, on and, and if you're talented uh, when it comes to social media research, you might find footage of that because it was caught on camera. There may or may not be footage doing the rounds of that particular moment. Um, Felix, obviously, yeah, you, as you explained a little bit before, you, you became a United fan as an Israeli. Mm-hmm. Um, Describe United's support in, in Israel. What, um, you go to games with, with, with other Israeli Reds, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's United's support in, in Israel like? And that, are people also fans of, of, other, of other English clubs? Um, generally speaking, I think uh, supporting international clubs in Israel is it's, it's a massive thing. Like, uh, there, was a, there was a poll recently that found, uh, there was a poll among football, fan in, football fans in Israel that found that basically FC Barcelona has more Israeli fans than any Israeli club. Um, obviously, it's easier to support a club from a distance and stuff, but at the, at the same time, it is a staggering number. Uh, English clubs get their fair share of support as well. I think United support is it's historically bigger. The two clubs, the two English clubs, which are the best supported in Israel, are still to this day MUFC and Liverpool, um, which makes an interesting clash whenever they play because they want like. The Israeli Reds go and watch games at a certain pub um, at some out, um, in the outskirts of Tel Aviv, and the pub where Liverpool fans watch their uh, have their sort of watch party, if you will, is five minutes away. So it always creates interesting um, uh, encounters between the two sides. But generally speaking, I would say that United's uh, Israeli support is can be divided into roughly two parts. There's a relatively big element of people that see United not only as a football club, but there's some sort of a cultural package, I would say, um, that United has a strong connection with the city of Manchester, with everything that comes with it, with a certain characteristic that come with the Mancunian nature, if you will. Um, people who show a lot of interest in other aspects of the um, the yeah of the Mancunian characteristics and of the city of Manchester. So, if you don't mind me interrupting, what what are, what what are the what are the characteristics of Manchester as a city, Mancunians as people? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, from an Israeli point of view, what what what, what is a Mancunian? What are, what, what, what is Manchester? That's a very good question. I think what I found the most staggering is that basically growing up abroad, everything they tell you about England and about the UK is um, like the list, the list of stereotypes include being polite and being always apologetic and holding back and do you, not, do you mean we're not polite let me finish please <laughs> this is an important part and obviously coming from the middle east people people's behavior and people's characteristics are very very different i think what sh- what what surprises me the most when i started doing those trips to manchester is the fact that i would Again, I also traveled around England to watch United and generally speaking, just met with loads of people from so many different places. And I think what stood out for me when it comes to the, 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 this nature that people, many people in Manchester have, obviously not everyone, but it is common, my, my, my uh, experience or my, my impression is that it's relatively common, is that I always say that Mancunians have the most Middle Eastern characteristics in England in the sense that they have this something that's in your face uh, uh, element of their identity there is this element of um, we are who we are and we don't really care that other people might might think we're 
I don't know, might, might laugh about us or jokes about us. We are who we are. It's part of our identity. We are, we behave the way we behave. We have a certain accent. We have certain terms that we use. It's part of our identity. And I think that the, 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 the element I felt automatically in contact with uh, or I, I could relate to was this element of like, yeah, okay, many people from other, pe from other parts of the country maybe uh, see us differently or tell jokes about us or say that we're X, Y, Z, but we just don't care. We are who we are. It's like, it's also what I found interesting is that this element of the Mancunian nature also became a, 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 a relatively dominant element with MUFC support. So no one access, we don't care stuff. Um, which I found the most interesting and it always an experience and every time I, I still travel to the city of Manchester pretty often funnily enough I live one hour away like flight from Manchester to Cologne is one hour I used to be in Manchester um, more often when I lived in Israel because obviously work and stuff it, it takes a lot more time but every time I'm there it's like a new experience and every time it's like it feels like it feels like yeah it feels like my second home after my actual home which is Cologne so um, fantastic city um, and I can't wait for Corona to be done so that we'll be able to go again yeah, cheers, Felix. Absolutely fascinating to hear what, um, what, yeah, what someone from a country like Israel and from a completely different culture, different part of the world, um, thinks about Manchester, thinks about yeah, uh, the, the people of Manchester, the, yeah, the, the language of Manchester, I think as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, really, really interesting. Um, as I said before, we are on the tram, and the tram has actually arrived at the stop that we get off at for uh, for Cologne's ground. Are we getting off here? Yes, get off here, then yeah, we can walk. Okay. Um, and I think this is actually quite interesting because now Felix... Actually, I take our masks off now. I hope yeah. you can hear us better now and I hope you could hear us okay on the tram. Um, the corona measures in Germany are relatively strict and in general I would say people people stick to them don't they I think. yeah absolutely it's, um, it's, it's one of the bigger, bigger reasons why this country has handled this crisis pretty well so yeah. far uh, that's one of the reasons why we are like the Europa League final stages are here yeah. basically uh, thanks to the authorities' yeah. handling of the whole thing, um, obviously it has something. It has a lot to do with the Bundesliga and their concept. But the Bundesliga's concept basically relies on the authorities' handling of the crisis. Very much so. The, the German football league have been quite clear in that all the way through, haven't they? They've always said that yeah, they're also quite grateful to the fact that they are able to, or they, that they were able to, to fall through this concept for the Bundesliga and that was only possible because the coronavirus was relatively speaking comparatively speaking under control in Germany it's, it's not perfect um, but generally speaking like, yeah, as you might have heard with the difference in audio quality um, masks on trams are an absolute 100% you don't really have a choice um, so yeah, excuse any any audio issues there. But as as we were saying, I, I, another German thing here is us waiting at the waiting at the crossroad to go yes. over the road, uh, even though there are hardly any cars and hardly any people. It's a very German thing to wait until the the red man turns green. Our, and, our naturalization um, in Germany is on on, its, on a good way. Put it this way. Yeah, yeah, if you um yeah. You're in big trouble if you uh, cross a road in Germany when it's on a red man and people will tut at you very loudly. Yeah. And no one wants Germans tutting at them loudly. That's no. the last thing anyone needs. But yeah, um, Felix, me and you, we, we, we do this walk quite often. Mm -hmm. We're at Cologne games pretty often. Um, 
it's our job to report on 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 Cologne or probably less so Cologne, um, more so German football in 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 general. Mm-hmm. Um, this is match day in Cologne. Doesn't 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 feel like it, does it? No, it feels. Uh, the Germans have a good word for it. It feels comish. It does. It feels weird. It feels like there's something wrong. Like me walking towards the ground, knowing that I'm going to watch a football game, and not having the whole atmosphere around it, not having the smell of bratwurst of sausages and beer, not having loads of people around you. It just feels weird. Um, it is a United game. Uh, but at the same time, it feels very, very different. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no, there's no stands selling scarves. Uh, Felix said no, no Bratwurst stands. Um, but we are in the situation we are. Um, like we said, we, we do go to a lot of a lot of games in Cologne, a lot of games um, all around Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, we report quite a lot, don't we, on German fan culture. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about, maybe it's quite a big topic, but tell us a little bit about fan culture in Germany, Felix. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think fan culture in Germany generally could be um, sort of characterized in how um, involved fans here are on all elements of, of German football, how, how much of a claim they have to have a say within their clubs, but not only, also when it comes to um, conversations with the football association, with the football league. They're basically the structures in Germany around football fans, which are, which basically give football fans here lots of support. Also, when it not only when it comes to bigger issues like protests against ticket prices or protests, protests for <coughs> Monday night football was the Monday big one last football. season, wasn't it? That's true. That that was that would have been my next example. Uh, kickoff times. Uh, but it's not only that. I mean, if you if you go down to the micro level of it, I mean, football fans here, largely speaking, also have support in cases of clashes with police. For an instance, football fans here sort of ground, sort of established those networks of, just as an example, like networks of legal experts yeah. to provide legal aid to football fans in such situations. So, so. You're right. It's a very, very active, very engaged fan culture, mm-hmm. um, which obviously reached a bit of a problem with the coronavirus measures when the Bundesliga returned because obviously as good as the Bundesliga's hygiene concept was there weren't any there weren't any fans in the ground that wasn't part of it that wasn't possible and that didn't yeah that's obviously not gone not gone down too well with a lot of fans um however they they did seem to keep themselves busy they were they, they all seemed to be very very active and occupied with helping out helping out in their communities which was quite good to see but they haven't been they haven't been in the stadiums and um even when the Bundesliga returns next season um there won't be any there won't be any fans in German stadiums until the end of October at the very very earliest and even that's not even that's not certain yet um so there's, there's been I think there's been a mixture of criticism but also understanding hasn't there really it's been it's been a it's been a strange mixture of of reactions or yeah how how have you seen German fans' reactions to the whole coronavirus crisis? Yeah, I think I think we can generally divide the German fans' reaction to the corona crisis to two. First of all, their reaction generally to the situation, the way they've had to adjust their own structures, for instance, for what you just mentioned, for helping in their own communities, which was the priority for most of them. 
um, which which was incredible to see. Hardly unexpected, but inc- it was nevertheless incredible to see. It started um, off with Stuttgart and Dortmund fans, wasn't it? They they started yeah. doing deliveries for old people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah helping out people who were in need during the coronavirus crisis, people who for whatever reason belonged to risk groups, so they were doing shopping, um, running errands for, 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 for other people in, the, in their towns and cities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, 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 the range of, of initiatives taken by football fans in Germany during that time, the, the most popular one was probably this one, just, just doing shopping for people in risk groups and stuff, but there were also other... Um, other initiatives, for instance, uh, I know of a fan group in Dusseldorf which sort of raised uh, awareness to violence against women, which is an issue given the lockdown. Um, they were raising, they are raising uh, money for the local, uh, the local uh, service line for women who suffer from domestic violence. And again, you have um, fan groups supporting fan groups and ultra groups supporting homeless people and all sorts of initiatives um, for across the board. You I think it also a lot of it just makes clear how, in, especially in Germany, so how inseparable society is from the football club. It's very much seen as 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 a, ref, as a reflection of one and the other. Uh, the football club in a, in any German city really is very much a reflection of the, of the society in that city and the people of that city. And they, yeah, the, the hardcore supporters do act in that way. Uh, we're getting close to the stadium now, approaching Cologne's, uh, yeah, Rhein-Energie-Stadion is, is, is official name, as we said, but known locally as the Müngersdorfer Stadion because we're in the, we're in the suburb of Müngersdorf. Um, I've been here dozens of times and I have never ever seen it as empty as this there are two huge lawns in front of the stadium Um, on one of the lawns there are three people hitting a ball about with the hands or is it a frisbee is it a ball or a frisbee yeah it's just a weird old version but it's completely deserted it's deserted there's three people there knocking a ball about there's a few e-scooters which uh, which don't have anyone to anyone to ride them, and one old man cycling past on his bicycle. There is nobody here. Um, the complete opposite to a Cologne home game. Um, yeah, before we before we get to the ground, Felix, so tell yeah tell us a little bit about the fan culture in Cologne, especially how important is FC Köln in the city of Köln. Massive. Um, basically, the club here plays a massive role in the city. It's a massive part of people, people's identities here. Uh, FC, FC Cologne are the fourth biggest club in Germany in terms of member numbers. More than 110,000 members. Only Dortmund, Schalke and Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich have members more. who technically all, had a, all have a vote. Technically. Yeah, exactly. So it is a big club with a, a large stake in the city. It plays a massive role. You, you just see the club apparently everywhere you go in the city. It's a massive part of people's identities. People care about this club. And it also has a lot to do with the fact that Cologne, um, they are still to this day um, owned and exclusively by their members. They, are, they don't have any, uh, any uh, companies owning a certain percentage of the club or something along those lines, which some clubs have. Um, they are 100% in the hands of their members. And I think this plays a role when you can have a say and you can have a stake uh, in your own club. Uh, I personally, ever since I moved here, I became a Cologne member just because uh, this 
club plays a massive role in the city uh, that I live in. So you also want to play your part. And um, in terms of the fan culture itself, uh, Cologne has a very, very interesting ultra scene, uh, big ultra scene. Uh, rather creative ultra scene politically uh, I think people might maybe recall 20,000 of them going to yeah. London in 2017 it's, it's, Arsenal yeah. away yeah so <laughs> this is the sort of, this is the sort of support we're talking about they take massive number whenever it's possible whenever they play in like a, at a ground that has a big um, away end say Dortmund say Bayern they will always fill out their their allocation 10,000 people in Berlin all the time it, it's just the sort of if, if, it, if, if only the football was better though yeah I, mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's that's exactly. is, is it five or six relegations in the past 20 years yeah I mean so, that, yeah. I don't I don't think I, I've never seen any club where the, there's such a massive lack of correlation between how intense a club support is and how bad it is in terms of the football. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. They've, um, uh, FC Cologne have never played Manchester United in a, in a competitive match. I think there might have been a few meetings in youth tournaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's never been a competitive uh, first team game between Manchester United and FC Cologne. But Manchester United are, the, are playing here in Cologne tonight. So... Um, we've now reached the point where everything's fenced off and I think we've reached the entrance where we have to go in and uh, go through the various health checks which I think are necessary to, to gain access to the ground. Just, just before we go in, Felix, let's have a quick chat about United because, as we said at the start, we are in a European, in a European semi-final, mm-hmm. although it doesn't really feel like it because it's absolutely silent here. What have you made of United this season? I thought it was a very interesting season for United. Um, we've all had our thoughts about uh, about United in the beginning. I mean, obviously, it didn't start all that well. But I think in the last few months, all his, all his concept is starting to show signs of paying off. I mostly like the fact that despite it not always going so well, Ole stuck to his plan and never changed it. I think this is a sign of a manager that... First of all, knows what he's doing. Second of all, that has a um, set of principle on which he is not able to. He, he is not willing to give up on those principles, um, and I think those principles really fit United's identity or it, or the United's identity that we'd like to see. Mm. Uh, be it in terms of the style of football, be it in terms of uh, young players, young homegrown players involved. Um, I think it's it, this season sort of reflected how well this club could be go could look going forward in terms of uh, the way they play in terms of um the 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 the, com- the competitive level in which they can play but mostly in terms of forming this this united identity which sort of sometimes got lost in recent yeah. years and i think this is what this is exactly this the decisive factor which could give this this club and this this first team this extra bit of 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 spiciness yeah. that it needs to become really really competitive to fight for titles uh and mostly to win the fans hearts because yeah. that's exactly what it's about I mean, well technically speaking united have only two wins away from from a european title mm-hmm. um you were there in vigo Three years ago, you in Stock- we were in Stockholm as yep. well, yeah. Um, how important? Yeah, how, how, what did that Europa League mean three years ago? And yeah, how do you see it this season? And where do you where do you rank it in the great scheme of things? Like, how importantly do you take the Europa League? I think, generally speaking, if you look at it at face value, this Europa League certainly means has a bit of a different meaning than the one two years ago. We all remember this was the first time we've won the cup. 
uh, we basically completed our series of, of, of titles with yeah, that. Complete, with that. completed the set. That yeah, year. exactly. So this, in that sense, it maybe had a bit more of a historical meaning. It's full time in Cologne. It's finished Sevilla two, Manchester United one, and it means that United are out of the Europa League at the semi-final stage. And it means that a season which, if I think back, started all the way back in Perth, in Australia, finally, finally, finally comes to an end. Here in Cologne, in Germany, on the banks of the Rhine. United took the lead this evening, Bruno Fernandes penalty, converted really well. Uh, but after that, Sevilla really, really grew into the game. There were periods in the first half where they were moving the ball with such intensity such such pace and precision United looked second best and were reduced to reduced to counter-attacks counter-attacks which did result in chances United weren't without chances this evening particularly at the start of the second half um, a five ten minute period in which Sevilla's goalkeeper pulled off a string of outstanding saves Um and the game looked to be on a on a knife edge um, for for parts of the second half um, until until yeah un, until Sevilla's winner um, both both Sevilla goals coming from 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 crosses um, and uh, players who were left relatively unmarked in the box, which would be disappointing from a defensive point of view. But yeah, it means it's a. It's ultimately a, a third semi-final defeat in cup competitions for United this season after the League Cup and the FA Cup. Um, and I suppose now the debate will begin as to whether this counts as a good season or not for Manchester United. A third place finish in the league and three semi-final exits in the Cups. Champions League qualification secured. Um that's important financially, obviously. It's important in terms of transfers and, and development of the squad, of course. But ask any United fan. Uh, a trophy's important. doesn't matter what trophy. Um, trophies, trophies and success breed success. They're important for a fan base. They're important for the development of a team. And although there were no United fans in the, in the stadium in Cologne tonight, it still hurts. It hurts because this club's built on this club's this club's built on trophies. It's it's built on it's built on winning. It's built on it's built on striving for the best. It's not it's it's, it's not built on striving for top four. It's built on striving to win trophies, concrete successes that matter. And there's no denying that that hurts. Um. But it's been a long season. It's been an unprecedented season. Obviously, nobody back in Perth last summer could have predicted that we'd have ended up having a, a two or three month break in the middle, um, and that the season would end up uh, in such a warped way that it has. It really is a it really is a warped and false version of football that we saw this evening. But it doesn't it doesn't disguise it doesn't disguise the, the disappointment. We'll be back 